Hey everybody, welcome to the review for your AP Gov test. The AP Gov test is May 3rd, which is the Monday. Uh, it is the very first test, which is, is a good uh, thing for us. Uh, you're not overwhelmed with testing it by that point. And um, I feel like it's a, a good thing for you. Uh, all right, so just so you know what we're gonna do, uh, I'm gonna release a series of uh, six, maybe seven podcasts. Um, where, where I go over the content that you need to have. I'm going to try and limit it to about 20 to 30 minutes. I don't want you to be overwhelmed by these things. I uh, just figured with all the, the differences we have in schedules and you know, some people face to face, some people digital uh, and just trying to find time. Uh, I can give you the information this way. And then if you have questions, you can always come see me. You can always text me. You can always email me uh, and we can figure out a time to sort through whatever it is you need to sort through. All right. So uh, the first in the series is going to be our required court cases. And if I have time, I'll go over the documents that you have to know as well. If I don't, then I'll do a separate one for the documents. But uh, right now we're going to concentrate on the court cases. Then I'll go into unit one, which was the foundations. I'm going to go in order this time. So I'll do unit two, which is the branches. Uh, I'm going to combine unit three and four because they are short plus talk about the FRQ process. And then we'll do unit five, the civil liberties and civil rights. Uh, I will have a general review uh, on May 2nd, which is the Sunday night before the test. And that'll be uh, a Zoom session where you can just pop in. It's not going to be me just sitting there going over you know, five units plus documents plus court cases for three, four hours. Uh, if you are studying and you have a question, you can pop into the Zoom. Hey, what's what happened here? Can you explain it to me? I'll explain it and then you can pop out. So it's not going to be like a, a formal session. All right. All right, let's get going. So the required Supreme Court cases. Now, what you need to know, first off, is the big one is the FRQ for this. All right. So you're going to have to to be able to compare a court case to these court cases. And, tip, and what they'll do with that is they're going to give you a court case that we have not talked about. Now, it could be one we've talked about. So it could be one that we used in class. Because uh, I go off on a lot of uh, on a lot of the, the the court cases, but they'll give you some information, and they'll give you all the information about it that you need, and then you compare it to this court case that I'm at one of these 15 that I'm going to go over, and uh, you're expected to to kind of know that, and then be able to pull. Well, hey, this was used here. This is how they were like. This is how they were different. Whatever it might be. Okay. For example, in 2019, they used the Brown versus Board of Education case, and in that they used a, a case. Uh, Texas versus Hernandez, I believe, uh, where it dealt with Mexican-Americans and all white juries and some other things. And so you had to pull out, hey, what's the similarities? Well, the, the Equal Protection Clause. All right. So you'd have to know that. And then you can get into how the holdings were the same and, and things like that. I'm, I'm going to talk more about the FRQs later, but you'll use, use that. Plus, you could potentially have a multiple choice question about these. OK, so let's get going. Uh, and I'm just going to go in order that the, the College Board lists them. Uh, not in, by year, but just by how they have them listed. And once again, I'm going to try and move quick because I do want to, I do recognize you have other stuff going on other than listening to this podcast. And so uh, I'm going to try and give you just the basics. If you want me to go into more detail, once again, contact me and I will be happy to, to go into more detail uh, about any of these things. All right. So first up is McCullough versus Maryland. And McCullough versus Maryland is uh, a case that's going to uh, establish. The supremacy okay uh of the federal laws remember that's part of the constitution is the fact that the, the federal government is supreme and uh this happened in 1819 and this is where 
that supremacy is going to be established. So just quick background. Uh, remember, uh, states, a lot of states did not like the Bank of the United States uh, that was created back then. There was no real basis for it. It was uh, something that the Congress had done to kind of stretch their powers and said, hey, well, necessary proper clause we we control commerce we can control the bank we can we can create a bank and so maryland was going to try and get rid of it uh, by taxing them heavily uh, the bank was not paying their taxes and that's where the, the case comes from and the supreme court in their findings is going to rule that um you know first off federal laws federal you know, all whatever when you hear the term federal it takes precedent over a state thing, okay? Uh, the federal laws, the federal regulations, federal institutions are supreme over state and their wishes and things like that. So uh, that's the big part of McCullough versus Maryland is the fact that the federal government is supreme. So, you know, right now in downtown Atlanta, we have the Federal Reserve Bank, all right? That's a federal institution. The state of Atlanta is not, I mean, not the state of Atlanta, the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia could not, you know, say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to regulate that that group and we're going to get them out of here. Uh, they don't they don't have that power, that ability because of McCullough versus Merrill. OK, uh, next up is uh, U.S. versus Lopez. And uh, this is a federalism case. OK. Um, and in this case, remember, Lopez took a gun to school. He was arrested and charged at the state level. The federal government decided that they want, wanted to, to charge him uh, with the the with this violation and and try him and potentially convict him and uh you know basically a federal crime okay and so this is why it's us versus lopez because lopez is going to argue federal government you can't do that i've already you know this is not a, a federal issue uh you don't have the uh the ability to, to come in and charge me with this because uh you're overstepping okay because the federal government is saying hey this is a commerce thing and remember, the Commerce Clause is something they have used uh, over and over and over again to get involved in, in cases. Think back to the Heart of Atlanta Motel case where the motel was not serving African-American customers. And they said, well, hey, you, you serve customers from all over the exit interstate. We can come in and we can try you because the state of Georgia wasn't enforcing that. So um, anyways, in, in Lopez, uh, the federal government gets denied. All right. So they are told, hey, you schools and things like that have nothing to do with interstate commerce. You cannot come in and charge this person. Uh, and it's just going to be up to the state to charge. Okay. So that was a loss for the federal government. Okay. And those two dealt with federalism uh, and the power between the national and state government. So uh, in McCullough versus Maryland, the federal government gained power because states really don't have anything to do over, uh, over the, the, the federal government. The federal government is supreme. And that's where that comes from. And then U.S. versus Lopez, the, the federal government took an L because they were denied the ability to charge Lopez. Uh, same thing happened in U.S. versus Morrison, which we talked about. That was the Virginia Tech case. So that could be a comparison there. Hey, this happened in U.S. versus Morrison. Then they give you a long list of what happened. And then now compared to U.S. versus Lopez. Well, one of the things that happened here was the, the federal government wanted to use the Commerce Clause, but they were denied. OK. All right. Next up is uh, the Bill of Rights stuff. Uh, and power of the government and civil liberties of individuals and things like that. And there's a lot of cases and there's five. 
Um, and I'm going to try and move pretty quickly. So first up is Engel versus Vital. Uh, this deals with the Establishment Clause, which is a religion thing. Uh, I think this one is one of the more simple cases, and we talk about it quite often in, 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 uh, in our class. Uh, but Engel versus Vital, this is the Prairie School case. All right, just remember, um, the school up in New York was, was in most, I shouldn't say a school, but a lot of schools were forcing, not maybe not forcing, just the, 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 they were expecting kids to pray before each class. And uh, the, the some parents decided, you know what, that's that's not what we want. And so uh, they will you know, bring charges, or not should say charges, but bring a suit against the, the school system. And eventually the Supreme Court is going to agree with the parents that the Establishment Clause does say separation of church and state. Schools, government-run entity, government cannot create a state-sponsored religion by making students pray at school, that's the government enforcing a religion. And so uh, Engel versus Vital is what's going to stop the prayer in school based on the Establishment Clause. Next up is Wisconsin versus Yoder. This is the Free Exercise Clause. So remember, the First Amendment has two things. You got the, the Establishment Clause, which says government will not create a state-sponsored religion, and then Free Exercise, which allows you to kind of worship how you want to. All right. And so Wisconsin versus Yoder, the Amish, uh, represented by Yoder. Yoder was just one of several families uh, that took part in this suit. Uh, Wisconsin law said you can't pull your kids out of school like 10th grade or a certain age. And uh, the Amish, they wanted to pull their kids out like after 7th, 8th grade. And the schools were saying, no, you can't do it. It breaks the law. You're going to get in trouble if you pull your kids out. The Amish are arguing, well, that breaks our free exercise and our ability to worship how we want to. All right. And so it's going to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is going to agree with the Amish, with the free exercise clause and say, yeah, the Wisconsin law is violating the free exercise clause. All right. Tinker versus Des Moines. Uh, this is a case you've gotten with me. I think you probably got it in U.S. history, but I know that was pandemic time, so I'm not sure how much you all went into it. Uh, but this is a, a free speech case, and this is where the students wore the black armbands to, to school to protest the Vietnam War. They were suspended. They're going to fight it. Now, keep in mind also when we talk about all these cases. A lot of times when they fight, the suspensions happen for these kids. I mean, the Supreme Court doesn't hear your case right away. Same thing with Roe versus Wade. It's not like, oh, this person's pregnant. We need to hear this case today. Uh, that's just not how it works. So a lot of times the punishment happens, but it's the principle of the thing. Okay. So the Tinkers wore the armbands. They were suspended from school. They fight back. They argue that you know, we, we have freedom of speech. Uh, and so the Supreme Court is going to agree with them uh, and, and say that school, that not schools, but public school students, that includes you, you know, have the right to wear uh, armbands, but any, a lot of these, some of the protest things. So you could potentially wear, uh, let's say, a green armband to say, hey, we want to support the legalization of marijuana. You couldn't wear marijuana paraphernalia because that's going to be against school rules. But to protest and or to support or something like that, I would think, you know, don't quote me on that. I would think you could probably get away with wearing like a green armband as a sign of, of support for it or something like that. So, you have that right. Symbolic speech. Uh, New York Times versus the U.S. <clears throat> uh, this is going to be a case that is going to bolster the freedom of the press. Uh, the U.S. had, re I should, they hadn't released, but they had to, the Pentagon Papers is what this one deals with. Uh, there were some papers that dealt with our time, the U.S.'s time in Vietnam and the New York Times and some other newspapers, Washington Post and, and places, wanted to publish them. The United States would say, no, that's going to violate national security or going to be a national security issue if you, if you publish these. Uh, that's using prior restraint. Prior restraint is what the government is going to try and stop. Uh, 
the publishment of something. And so uh, the, the New York Times is going to fight and say, well, no, we have the right to do this. This does not hurt national security. Um, we should be able to publish these things. And the Supreme Court is going to agree with them that they're able to. Right. And then finally, uh, Shank versus the U.S. Uh, as a part of the civil liberties cases here. Uh, and this is free speech. OK. Uh, and this is a case that I really think if it happened today would be almost a non-issue and it probably wouldn't make it to the Supreme Court. Uh, but because of the time, right, if we're, we're doing World War One uh, and the, the, the situation, the climate of the, the country at the time, it, it came out the way it's going to come out. But Shank was, was protesting uh, the draft of World War One, and uh, he was outside of a recruitment office or something like that, passing out literature, giving speeches, and he was arrested. Um, and he's going to fight and say, you know, I have free speech. I can I can do that. And it's going to work its way through the courts. The Supreme Court is going to create something called the clear and present danger. All right. And if you're you're presenting a clear and present danger to the government of the United States or, or something like that, uh, your free speech is not protected by the First Amendment. And so that's where that statement comes from. It's from the Shank case. OK. All right. Um, next up is uh, protections of the Bill of Rights that have been selectively incorporated by way of the 14th Amendment's due process clause. Uh, so a couple of things there. First off, due process. That's all the things you have when you're you know, a suspect to being arrested, to a trial, to even afterwards. OK, so you have some certain rights. Uh, and the 14th Amendment, remember, that is the citizenship thing or the Citizenship Amendment, and it creates the Due Process Clause, and it creates the Establishment Clause, right? or not the Establishment, excuse me, the uh, um, Equal Rights Clause, all right, Equal Protection Clause. I'm, I'm struggling right now, sorry. Uh, all right, so first up is Gideon versus Wainwright, and this is the case that's going to guarantee you an attorney. And once again, when I, like I told you all, every time I talk about Gideon versus Wainwright, I would have no, if I got in trouble, like serious trouble, and was arrested, I was sitting in jail, you know, or sitting in the interrogation room, I would have no idea who to call. Like, I, I don't have a lawyer on call. So I would just say, give me a lawyer. They, they have to give you one. Okay. And it comes from this case. Uh, at the time, they only gave lawyers to people who were charged with a felony. Gideon was not charged with a felony. He was charged with a misdemeanor, breaking and entering. And so he was not, even though he was you know, poor and could not afford one, he was not given a lawyer. And so he was charged, convicted, uh, and sent to prison. His appeal is based on the fact that, hey, I should have had a lawyer. And the Supreme Court is going to agree with them uh, that you are guaranteed, no matter what, misdemeanor or felony, uh, the right to a lawyer. So once again, if you ever find yourself in trouble, just ask for a lawyer. They, they're going to give you one. Uh, Roe versus Wade, this is a little bit weird because you know this is the abortion case. And uh, it's going to deal with the right to privacy, basically. Okay. So uh, Roe, not her, her real name, uh, and her, her real name is escaping me at the moment. I, there's a FX has a, a documentary on her that I, I watched just within the last couple of weeks. And uh, I cannot, it's escaping me. Anyways, um, she won't have an abortion. It's against Texas state law, as it was against most state law uh, in, the, in the country. And uh, she's going to fight it. All right. It's going to go to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is going to say that, yes, the decision to have an abortion uh, extends the right to privacy. Okay. Now the right of privacy is something they pulled out of the fourth and 14th amendment. So just keep that in mind. It's not stated anywhere in there. It's something that the Supreme court interpreted uh, into uh, or from those, those amendments. All right. And then McDonald versus Chicago. Uh, I feel like I need to say DC versus Heller first because DC versus Heller happened first. Um, this is the case where D Washington DC gun restrictions, gun laws were, were found to be too stringent. 
okay, and violated the Second Amendment. Once that happened, it moved to the city, and that's why it's versus Chicago. Chicago also has some strict, stringent gun laws. And um, the, the, the basis here is based on D.C. versus Heller, and Heller went in his case against D.C. and the federal government, uh, and then McDonald's is going to say, not McDonald's, the fast food place, but McDonald uh, is going to argue that, hey, the Second Amendment applies to the cities as well, because the cities, and, and remember, selective corporation, this is where cities and states don't want to always enforce the Bill of Rights. And so you know, they're saying, hey, that's an agreement with the federal government. It's not an agreement with us. So we don't have to enforce it. We don't have to give in. Uh, but the Supreme Court can say, no, you do. Okay, the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, it doesn't just apply to the federal government. It applies also to the cities and states, and you have to to allow people you know, the right to bear arms. All right. Uh, all right. Next up is uh, equal protection stuff. And there's only one case, and it's Brown versus the Board of Education. It's something I'm pretty sure everybody's familiar with. Uh, so I won't spend a great deal of time on it, but it dealt with uh, the fact that the you know, little girl, Linda Brown, uh, walked past the white school to get to the, the black school. All right. And they obviously weren't equal. And that, that was the NAACP won all kinds of cases uh, leading up to this with the, the whole separate but equal thing, because they could just show pictures. Hey, let's take a picture of the white school. Let's take a picture of the black school. And they were almost never equal. All right. And it, and it could be seen. Anyways, in this case, um, the the the. Um, happens uh, based on the, the Kansas case, but there was others around they could have chosen from. They chose to, to use Kansas because it was the center of the country. And they didn't want people to say, well, you know, that was just a Southern thing, or that's just a Western thing, or it's just a, um, a New York thing, or whatever it might be. All right? So they, they wanted to be, you know, this is the center of the country. This is happening everywhere, not just here. Uh, and the Supreme Court is going to, to rule that and overrule Plessy versus Ferguson and say that, hey, you know, school segregation violates the Equal Protection Clause. Remember, equal protection says that everybody should be treated the same, no matter you know what race you are, what sex you are, what you identify as, what religion you are, all that. It doesn't matter. The law should be equally applied to everybody. And in the case of school and the separate schools, that wasn't equal. OK. All right. Next up is the impact of federal policies on campaigns and electoral rules continues to be contested by both sides of the political spectrum. And this one is Citizens United versus the FEC. Uh, Citizens United, remember, and this is really a complicated case uh, to me. And uh, I sometimes struggle to, 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 to say what I have in my head clearly. So if this is one you have a question, about, please let me know. Uh, all right. So Citizens United had made a movie. Uh, documentary about Hillary Clinton as a candidate. It was not a, a good one. Okay, it didn't make her look good. Uh, and they had gotten money from corporations, uh, labor unions, and just all kinds of places. Okay, and the argument was that that violated some of the Campaign Finance Reform Act and where money could go, how corporations could spend their money, how you know, businesses could spend their money. So that's where the case comes from. This is why it's Citizens United, because they're arguing, no, we can take money and we can do what we want with that money. I and mean, we can make this movie. All right. Even though it's coming from these these organizations versus the FEC. The FEC is the one the Federal Election Commission. They are the ones that, you know, enforce the the uh, the laws or uh, the election laws. Yeah. Uh, and so the Supreme Court is going to agree. OK, with Citizens United. And the key thing to remember here is, is, is it's a free speech thing. OK. Uh, and so now campaign donations are tied to free speech. So the Supreme Court is going to say that 
corporations, businesses, labor unions, that kind of stuff has protected free speech and them spending their money on these different packs, super PACs, all those things, that is a form of free speech. So donations are protected under free speech is what the, the basis of Citizens United versus the FEC. All right. Um, the uh, operation of the legislative branch, you've got two here. Uh, this Baker versus Carr and Shaw versus Reno. <clears throat> um, we, we, I used to talk about these in gerrymandering. All right, but don't don't forget that Baker versus Carr is not a gerrymandering case. It, it deals with redistricting, so this is why it all, it, this is on the legislative branch. Uh, all right, so real quick, Baker versus Carr. This case happened in the 1960s, and, and the importance of this case is the fact that up to this point, the Supreme Court had stayed out of these redistricting cases. So this is why gerrymandering was able to happen. This is why some of the districts that we have or had were so weirdly drawn, poorly drawn, was because they were able to, to use gerrymandering. And I'll define gerrymandering in just a second. But this one does not deal with gerrymandering. Okay, so what happened was Tennessee had created these state laws that said, hey, we're going to redistrict every 10 years based on the census. And this was in like 1900. They did it twice. Then in 1920, they just stopped. They stopped redistricting. So the districts had got out of whack by 1960 when this case happens. Um, Shelby County, Tennessee, I think is where it was. Uh, the population had boomed. OK. And so they had this huge population influx. And so they were underrepresented because there's so many people in this district versus some of the rural areas where they're being overrepresented because there's so few people out there and only one. So they needed to basically redistrict to you know, make sure that the, the populations and, the, and, and the, the representation is equaling out. All right. And the Supreme Court is going to take the case. Once again, that's why it's important, because they had not touched redistricting up to this point. They had said that's a political question. It's a political issue. We don't handle those kind of questions. We don't handle those kind of issues. So um, the door gets open, basically, uh, to, to, to this. Uh, it's going to be an equal protection issue. Uh, to challenge redistricting, uh, and the Baker versus Carr case is going to basically develop the one person, one vote doctrine um, that basically political challenge or challenges to redistricting are not political questions, but instead it can allow the, the courts to rule. Okay. So Shaw versus Reno, though, is a gerrymandering case. Um, and this is, remember, gerrymandering, this is where uh, one side is going to redraw the lines to favor their party. Um, and so um, the main thing to understand about this case is that it's going to rule that majority minority districts uh, can be constitutionally challenged by voters, right, if race is the only factor used in creating the district. This case comes out in North Carolina where they had they had created this long corridor and I showed you a map of the of the um, in our gerrymandering lesson I showed you a map of the, the what you call it the uh, the district that is in question it was up 85 it was this long district uh, and it was mostly African-American voters uh, within that district and so the argument was well you created this district okay with with race in mind you wanted to create this African-American district and so the, the Supreme Court said you can't do that okay um, and so that is Shaw versus Reno. Uh, finally, is one that everybody's familiar with, Marbury versus Madison, uh, and that is the case that created judicial review. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on it, but just remember, uh, this is the one that blew up the um, Judiciary Act, and it's going to um, 
basically give the Supreme Court the power they have today to declare laws as unconstitutional. I've never seen anything about midnight judges and all that kind of stuff. I don't think you have to worry about that. You just got to understand a judicial review comes from this case, uh, and it's what allows the courts to review and overturn uh, laws that they deem as unconstitutional. Okay. All right. Got about six minutes. Let's see if we can go through the um, the foundational documents just so we can knock that out. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on this. And one of the key things to remember about the, the foundational documents is the fact that you don't have to quote from them. Okay. You don't have to <clears throat> take Fed 10 and say, in Fed 10, line, paragraph two, line four, the author says, you don't have to, you just got to be able to interpret it and use that in your responses. Okay. And this is going to come from the argument. All right. So you've got Fed 10, Brutus 1, Declaration of Independence, Articles of Confederation, Constitution, <clears throat> Bill of Rights, Fed 51, Letter from a Birmingham Jail, Fed 70, Fed 78. So let me give you a brief overview uh, of these things. And I'm not going to spend time on the articles. I'm not going to spend time on the Declaration of Independence. I think you probably have a pretty good understanding of those. Uh, Fed 10, okay. Uh, this is the one that's about factions and how the fact that we can control factions by allowing factions to happen and that they kind of control themselves. All right. Uh, Brutus one. Brutus one is the anti-federalist response to um, just to the, the federalist papers and the argument against the strong central government. We want to have strong state governments. All right. We want to have citizenry that's empowered and things like that. Uh, the Declaration of Independence. I think we know this. This is the this is we're declaring our independence and the, the grievances we had against England at the time. The Articles of Confederation, our first government, you know, mainly it's going to be concentrated on the weaknesses. So that's where you probably, if you're having to write about the articles, is you would concentrate on the weaknesses. Hey, there's no president. There's no militant attacks. Um, there is unanimous consent to, to make changes to the, 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 what you call it, to the, the law and things like that. Uh, the Constitution, once again, I'm not going to try and explain the Constitution to you. It is the basis of our government. It contains you know, the preamble, uh, the articles that set up the government. Uh, it creates the government. OK. Um, and the Bill of Rights, those first 10 amendments. Uh, you, you could also probably get into some of the other amendments that come uh, after that. You know, 19th Amendment, one right vote, things like that. OK. Fed uh, 51 is about checks and balances. Remember, this is about the importance of how you know, separation of powers. We're going to have these these branches that are separated out. We're going to have an executive branch that can do this, the judicial branch that can do this, Congress can do this, and within that, in order to protect, we're going to have the ability for the president to do this to the Congress. Congress can do this to the courts. Courts can do this to the president, so on and so forth. So those checks and balances between the departments of the of the government. Uh, the Constitution again, letter from a Birmingham jail. Uh, this deals with the 14th Amendment and equal protection. So if you see something about the 14th Amendment, you're probably going to an equal protection. You're probably going to want to use this as one of your uh, documents. But letter from a Birmingham jail was just Martin Luther King Jr. defending his use of civil disobedience and civil disobedience. Remember, this is the uh, where basically the group takes the law and says, this is unjust. We're not going to follow it. OK, basically, and how you would tie this in equal protection, this law is not being equally applied to everybody. That's unfair. Therefore, it's unjust. Therefore, we're not going to follow this law. OK, uh, Fed 70 was about the executive department and the president it's having a single president. Why it's important. Uh, you don't want to have presidents that have to rely on you know, one of the one of the suggestions. Well, let's have 
three people as the president. We don't want to have to have committees and things like that within the presidency. And then finally, it's Fed 78 about the Judiciary Department, Department and how it's going to be the weakest because it relies so heavily on the other, the executive and the congressional uh, branches to get things done. They can make their decisions, but then the executive branch has to help enforce it. Congress has to dole out money or whatever it might be. Okay. All right. So those are your documents and the documents are probably mainly going to be used in your multiple choice questions and uh, potentially, well, not potentially, but in your argumentative essay, you're going to have to be able to reference some of these. Okay. Uh, as always, if you want me to go into more detail about any of this stuff, please hit me up on remind, hit me up on uh, email. I'm available. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll get back with you as soon as possible. Um, you can on Twitter, the, the K Daniels, AP Gov. Um, if you want to follow that, I'm going to try and put out information on there. You can also, you know, we can have a conversation on Twitter um, about this stuff as well. Uh, however you need to, to get me, please get me and let's make sure you understand these things and what you have to do with them. Uh, all right, guys, y'all take care. Have a good day. I'll release the next one, I think, on Thursday, the Unit 1 Foundations. All right, guys, have a good one. Let me know if you have questions. Take care.